There's a lot of things we can learn from the Israelites. We're about to see the beginning of that nation. I think one of the things I'm reminded of is how many times they took something good and turned it into an idol. Like how people wear their first place. I just want to address that. Make sure... Now, you know, the Lord supports good things as long as we as humans don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah, we are in that part of the book where uh, we are now getting into a lot of the biographical. In other words, uh, Abraham's going to get a lot of chapters. Um, so I think Noah had a couple. Um, but now we are getting into um, some good character studies. And the reason I say that is... Remember, this is a journey of faith. So I'd like to remind us, as we said sometimes, that Abraham is called a friend of God in the Bible. Um, there's a lot there. There's a lot there uh, when it comes to reverence for the Lord. And can we say, here's our friend. I'll say this. I don't, and again, you can talk to me later. I don't know if, um, I don't even know if it's 100% true what I'm about to say. But... It's an interesting thing to think about. Is every Christian a friend of God? Because you know what? Friendship is a two-way street. So it's never on God's side. God has always shown his love, his sacrifice, his commitment, and his faithfulness. But sometimes when we see friend of God, that would mean maybe they put forth the effort into the friendship as well, like Abraham. So as we say that... um, I want to remember as we go through this, this is a journey of faith in trusting the Lord. And it should also be a parallel to our own faith journeys. Uh, Typically, when we preach, right, we are preaching uh, to the assembly. But uh, for some reason, in the last couple of weeks, I, I just want to remind us that your individual walk matters. And so don't hear something from the Lord and just kind of think of it in general terms um, of how Christianity is supposed to work or um, even what we're necessarily doing here at Brantford, I want to just remind us, this is individual. This is your faith. And the Lord's going to speak to you this morning. And I am convinced of that. And uh, just have a good time with the Lord and communicate with your God this morning. Someone said this about Abraham God is in the business of growing Abram into a man of great faith. And this requires circumstances where Abraham must trust God. Faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. It is an oak tree that grows for a thousand years under the blast of the wind and the rain. That's what's about to happen with Abraham. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we just want to acknowledge that you are here with us, and that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we would uh, just want to let you know our hearts cry that we would want you to speak to us this morning, that uh, we enjoy you in our lives, and there is nothing better than you for us. And so, Lord, today may your spirit do a mighty work. May you be honored and glorified. Let us learn as we go through uh, these foundational truths in Genesis Let us learn uh, from you uh, the things that would apply to our lives today. In your name, amen. Greg covered the first part of chapter 12. I'm going to pick off in uh, verse 10. 
It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, but they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you're my sister, that it might be well with me for your sake, and that I might live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? <coughs> Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with them to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ain, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So if you remember from last time, Abraham was told to get out of his country from the Lord, to leave everything that was familiar to him, to leave that which would sustain him, to leave his job basically, to leave his family, leave comfort. And remember, the Lord said, basically, I'll tell you where to go along the way. Okay? So then the Lord is telling him where to go, and then comes a famine. Now, again, I speak in human terms. I just want to say right off the bat, if you've ever um, been here in your Christian walk, the timing of all this. In other words, Abram just did a pretty big leap of faith. It talks about it in Hebrews, that he left everything. And so he's pursuing the Lord, and you're kind of thinking, man, great job, Abraham. Way to have faith in the Lord. You're trusting him in everything he does. And then famine comes. Is that fair? <laughs> like, Lord, could you have just held off on the famine a little bit? Um, you know, Abraham's doing some amazing leaps of faith here. You have great plans for him. Is a famine fair? And the reason I bring that up, obviously it's fair if the Lord does it. Okay, but I want to remind us in our own faith journeys that this is typically how it works. This is typically how it works. You trust in the Lord and you give up certain parts of your um, independence and you're fully starting to depend on him. And there's patterns all throughout scripture that at that time, it's almost like the Lord wants to then test you and say, do you really depend on me? Let's bring a famine. Let's bring you to the point where you are absolutely desperate and needing me. That is a common thing that we can sometimes see. And so again, I don't really like to say it out loud. I don't want no famine. But I also understand that this is a biblical pattern to encourage us in our faith. Yes, there is times when you are growing in your faith and you are trusting in the Lord more, it will get harder. And the Lord will sit there sometimes and go, okay, do you really trust me? Let's take some things away. Let's take some things away. Remember this happened 
in the book of Exodus, um, chapter 15, where the Israelites just came out of Israel. So let's turn there for a second. Exodus chapter 15. When I say Israel, I meant Egypt. Here in Exodus 15 and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters remained sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there was twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. It's just going to be another picture of faith. Remember, it's kind of interesting, as I was thinking about this story again, it talks about this in Hebrews as well, to be actually unified in their faith. The whole nation, so it seem, walked through the Red Sea. And that was a big leap of faith. Again, don't try to replay Prince of Egypt, this cool movie in your mind, and think that's really cool. Uh, to, to see walls of water really high at nighttime. They had light when they're walking across dry land. It wasn't a couple steps. They had to walk through. And at some point, you're in the crowd, and you're in the middle of the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides. That is a lot of faith that the walls of water are not going to collapse and drown you completely. And yet, it would seem like one of the um, few recorded times, if not uh, the only time, the whole nation has faith at this point. And so you would think, good job, Israel. Good job. By faith, you crossed the Red Sea. Excellent job. And three days out of that thing, they have just seen their enemies completely destroyed. You're thinking, man, spiritual high. They cannot get water. They have no water for three days. A human body without water for three days is a bad thing. And then they finally find some water, and they can't drink it because it's bitter. And so they start complaining, crying out to the Lord. Moses is like, hey, what's happened? And it says the Lord here is going to test them. I'm the one that heals you. Because now that I have brought you out of this great deliverance out of Egypt, are you really ready to trust me? For the rest of this journey. And so it is with Abram right now. Abram is about to have a famine. Again, what is a famine? You are running out of the things you need to nourish you. You are running out of the things you need. This is not like, oh, there's not a lot of presents under the Christmas tree this year. Oh, I had to drive the, the old car. This is desperate. There's no food and water. And I'm watching my livelihood, my cattle, start to suffer and die as well because there's no food and water. And I need some nourishment. Have you ever been there spiritually? Or you just feel, Lord, I just need some water and some spiritual food. Didn't I trust you? 
Why am I in this position? Didn't I kind of give my faith and depend on you? And yet it seems like I'm not getting fed at all. And I am starting to die spiritually. The Christian can go through that. The Christian can go through that. And now the important part of this is where do you turn for your nourishment? In the middle of a famine, where do you get your source of nourishment? And this is one of the mistakes that Abram makes. He is going to go down to Egypt. Egypt is always a picture of the world. And again, I don't want to beat them up too much because Egypt had uh, nourishment. They had some food. And where he was, um, they say it was really kind of a dry desert place. Like it would have been really hard from a physical viewpoint to say, we're going to get anything here. Okay. It would also be just to remind us of the context, the place he just left was very nourishing and there was a river there that they could use to water everything. And so he just left a place of abundance as well. And now he's got nothing. But in this moment, he chooses to go down to Egypt. Famines are brutal things. It makes us really, it tests our faith. It tests our faith. Uh, St. Patty's Day was Friday, right? And uh, have you ever heard of the famous Irish potato famine? They said at that time, it was in the mid-1800s, um, potatoes were just destroyed, the crops. But they say there was 8 million people in that country during that famine. In about two years, 2 million left and migrated to other countries. A lot of them came to the United States. And 1 million people died. They lost over a third of their population in Ireland in the mid-1800s because of the famine. It really decimated the country. And so when we think of famine, this is no joke. But he's going to choose to go to Egypt for his needs met. Be careful, Christian, where you go for your needs. Be very careful. Here's what I want to talk about when it comes to him going to Egypt. When you go to the world for your needs, you must play by their rules. Here's what I mean by that. Abraham goes and before he even enters Egypt, he knows, I have a beautiful wife. And the custom there is this. This is Egypt. They find her, they find me with some decent cattle and things like that. They just kill me. They kill me and take her. That would probably be the norm. So, if I say she's my sister, which is a half-truth, by the way, if I lie and deceive and say she's my sister, well, at least I'll have some time, because then they can try to win me over, try to give me dowries and things of this, to say, hey, I think I want to marry your sister. She's pretty good-looking, and uh, this is what we can do for you in the process. So, he looks at his wife. He goes, by the way, I don't want to get killed, so uh, we're going to pretend we're not married. And uh, you're going to be my sister. Now, again, probably not the best thing to do to your wife. Probably caused a lot of conversations later between him and his wife alone. But the reason I say to be careful when you go to the world 
for your needs, you must play by their rules. He immediately is going to start lying just to get into Egypt. Remember what it says in John 8 about the devil, who has been called the prince of this world. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so when you go to the world, that's the person running the world. A father of lies, absolutely no truth in them. So in order to kind of make your way through, depending on the world for your resources, you got to play by that rules. You're going to start lying and disobeying your God. And we do that stuff, guys. And we just think, well, it's kind of justified because there's a famine and I'm hungry. So I got to lie a little bit so I don't die. There was a store manager who heard his clerk tell a customer, no, man, we haven't had we haven't had any for a while, and it doesn't look as if we'll be getting any soon. Horrified, the manager came running over to the customer and said, of course we'll have some soon. We placed an order last week. Then the manager drew the clerk aside. Never, he snarled, never, never, never say we're out of anything. Say we've got it on order and that it's coming. Now, what was it she wanted? The clerk looked at him. Rain. If you lie, it, oh, the Bible says your sins will be sure they'll, they'll find you out. There's no good that comes out of sin and the way the world operates in lying. Even though with Abram right here, it looks like this is the smartest play. Let's just tell people she's my sister. Which again, for all of us who don't think deception is just as bad, this is a half-truth. She is half-sister to Abram. So he can justify in his mind, this isn't really lying. This isn't that bad. Then what are my options? I want to see where it led him, though. When going into the world for your needs, I want to let you know that not only will you start to play by their rules, but typically your fear and anxiety will increase instead of decrease. I know a lot of us struggle with anxiety or fear or things of that nature. I want you to see this story as someone who was trusting in God so much, went to the world for his needs, and, and he was afraid, right? I'm sure he had some anxiety, like, hey, where's my food coming from? What's going to happen? Right? But God had just promised him, I will make a nation out of you. So he should be depending on that. But I'm sure there's some fear and anxiety coming. Okay? Well... <clears throat> Now look what really happens in the context of this story. They go into Egypt, and the princes of Pharaoh see her and commend her to the Pharaoh. It says in verse 15, And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Now I want you to understand what's happening. Okay, If it's a normal everyday guy in Egypt, and they see Abram's wife, beautiful woman, they might try to sweet talk Abram. They say, hey, maybe I can give you, I don't know, three goats and a couple, you know, chickens. And maybe I can go out to dinner with her. And, but it will kind of be proper. And then it will give Abraham a little bit of time maybe to say no. And then they'll be out of there by then. Okay. When the Pharaoh says, hey, she's hot. Bring her over here. 
guess what? No rules applied. So in this context, when she's going to see Pharaoh's wife, now Abraham is not also in Pharaoh's palace. And he is literally sitting there going, what's happening with my wife and Pharaoh? Because there's not one person in that country that's going to tell Pharaoh not to do whatever he wants to do. So think about you were scared for your life. You took your wife and said, let's not have a lie. Now how much anxiety and fear is really coming upon Abraham? What is happening with my wife? What if Pharaoh decides to go, oh, yeah, by the way, I married her last night. What will Abraham do in that situation? And he knows all that is very possible. Trust me, if you have fear and anxieties in your life, going into the world and to play by their rules will not relieve the fear and anxiety. It typically gets worse. It typically gets worse. By God's sovereignty, Pharaoh realizes what's going on and kicks Abraham and his wife out. And look what he says. What is this you've done to me? Now, this is interesting. The Lord plagues Pharaoh and his house. Remember, the Lord has said in his sovereignty, Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Now, if Pharaoh marries her, that is going to not look so good on the genealogy of the nation of Israel. <laughs> okay? But regardless, regardless here in this text, God is sovereignty. Talked about it with Steve Price is letting this Pharaoh somehow figure out these plagues are because of this girl. And you guys, someone's not telling all the truth. And I want you to get out. Now, this whole thing of verse 16 of him treating Abram well for her sake, he had sheep, oxen. That's the whole picture. Pharaoh's intent is to make Sarah his wife. And he is blessing Abram with all of these sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, camels. Abraham's going to leave Egypt a richer man than when he came in. Why does that matter? Because again, sometimes, and I want to be careful, it can look like you've gained a lot of blessings even though you were living in sin. Abram can sit there and go, oh, you know, this didn't turn out that bad. I got a lot of stuff. I got off the hook, and now I'm going back to Bethel. Not every time you seem to increase in prosperity is it from the Lord. Remember that along your faith journey. <laughs> Do not use that as a measurement for how things are going spiritually. Abram went to the world, and he played by their rules. He starts to lie. Then he went to the world for his needs being met, and his fear and anxieties increase, and it becomes more of a problem. And it's only by God's grace and his sovereignty that he, lets, he plagues Pharaoh, and Pharaoh goes, I don't know what's happening, but get these people out of here. So now that Abram has made his mistake, in chapter 13, he's going to go back to the beginning. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with them to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Beth-el, 
to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Beth El and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Okay. This was mentioned once in the book of Genesis already. Calling on the name of the Lord. And all that that means and entails. So again, Abraham had a famine. He went to the world. He comes back now to the place of the beginning. Remember, in the beginning of this chapter, it says he set up an altar and he called on the name of the Lord at Bethel, house of God. Okay? There's a lot we can say about what does it mean to call on the Lord. I want to try to... uh, give you a a brief synopsis of what this means. To call on the name of the Lord is three things. One, he's your authority. Two, we depend on him. And three, he's worthy of our worship. And I'm going to try to illustrate those three things, all in that little phrase, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. He's your authority. We depend on him, and he is worthy of worship. To call on his name. As we've said, your name means something. Your name is legal and binding. Okay, I teach my students this. We've all been taught these things of signing your name to a check. You cannot have transfer of money without your name, either on the check or now, yes, it's electronically. But it doesn't matter. My daughter just signed up for student loans. We had a huge talk. I said, you're going to push a button on the laptop. You're going to type out your name. I need you to know what that means. It means you're responsible for the money that's coming down the road. That's what it means. This is a moment. You are signing your name saying, it's okay to have this loan And I am obligated to pay it back. That's what you're doing when you type out your name and push the return key. And it is interesting the way the world wants to change people's names all the time. It's interesting. Because your name is authority. And so when we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, right away Abram is now saying, Lord, you are my authority. You're my authority. You control me you control me this is why also we say things at the end of our prayers sometimes like in jesus name because we are saying you have all authority so what i pray you are the one in control you're in charge i could not even talk to god without acknowledging you first anyway So when I say I pray in your name or in your authority, okay, it is very important to see that because Abram in some ways stepped out from under God's authority and chose to go to the world to get his own needs met. So now he's coming back and calling on the name of the Lord. It also shows dependency on him. There is numerous verses in the Bible that talk about calling on the name of the Lord. Turn to Psalms 116. Psalms 
Psalms 116, starting in verse 1. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Okay? This is, again, not too hard to understand. People call on the name of the Lord because they need him. They depend on him. They go through tough things in life. It is always interesting that people don't want to pray the non-Christians until a lot of pain comes into their life. And then they have no problem asking the Christian, can you pray for me? I need the Lord now. I have to depend on him now. I got hard stuff coming. They didn't really want to talk to the Lord when life was good. But when pain comes, they bring the Christian right aside. Aren't you religious? Can you pray for me? Can you talk to your God about me? I'm going through it. (laughs) We are to call on the name of the Lord because we're showing we depend on him. We go through things in life. And we want to make sure that we are acknowledging anything good is going to come from you. And what's interesting is Abram here at this altar calling on the name of the Lord, and he's rich. He's rich. I need you guys to see this. Okay? Because it says right there, Abraham was very rich in chapter 2, and it is not stopping him at all from going to an altar and calling on the name of the Lord and putting the Lord first. No matter if he has a lot of money, little money, it does not matter. His dependency and his authority is now on the Lord. And that's part of his faith journey. As we've said a hundred times, what you have in your bank account does not matter. Whether it be a lot or a little, what the Lord wants is your heart and your dependency on him. That's what he's interested in. And you can have it both ways. You can have the poor person being completely dependent on the Lord. and You can have the rich person being completely dependent on the Lord. Absolutely. Finally, he's worthy of worship. Abraham is at the altar. He's at the altar. He's calling on the name of the Lord in an act of worship. Now, again, we would remember in the New Testament, it says a few times, even in the Old, to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. This is actually, again, throughout your whole faith journey as a believer. But it's also interesting, when someone becomes a Christian, they call on the name of the Lord. What are they saying? You're my authority. You're right, and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. You're perfect. That's what someone does when they become a Christian, right? They acknowledge they're wrong, and that God in control. And then they depend on him. I believe that you died on the cross to what? Save me from my sins. I'm depending on you saving me. That's what someone does when they become a Christian. And even in all of that, even this sense of worship, now again, I'm not trying to go theologically super deep, but there's some part of when someone becomes a Christian, they are assigning worth to who God is. That's what they're doing. I trust you. 
I'm assigning worth to you, God. I want to give my life to you. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it does not stop at our salvation, but it's continuing on in our faith journey that we call on his name. We call his name. So what happens is why I'm saying all this too. Again, if you have dabbled in the world and you are not trusting in the Lord and you realize this morning, man, I'm kind of like Abraham and I'm going to Egypt. What is the next step? Abram worshipped. Has God set it up that way? That the carnal Christian, the one that is not doing well, the one that is not acknowledging God, after they confess their sins, what is the next step? Go worship. That's interesting. It's very interesting to me that the Lord would say, you're forgiven, now worship me. That you would call on his name. I want to remind us again the beauty and the simplicity that is the God we serve. That if you have dabbled into the world and you want to get right back with him, you call on his name, you acknowledge his authority, your dependency, and then you worship. Then you just tell him how wonderful he is and you ascribe him worth. That's what you're supposed to do. Which, by the way, again, that's why we break bread on Sundays and we're not supposed to have anything between us and others and things like that. That we can clear it all out so we can worship with a clean heart. With a clean heart. And that is why everyone who has confessed their sins or they've fixed those things in the week, everyone is worthy to worship on Sunday morning. That's the pattern that we see. I'll close with this. In Psalms 86, it says this. We'll start in verse 3. Psalm 86, 3. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. As we go through these foundational truths in Genesis, you know what? Again, we don't, I don't really care about your past. I really don't. What matters is right now. And if you have not been close with the Lord in your own individual walk, if you are wrestling with should I trust him or should I not, you know there are certain things he has asked you to let go of and you refuse of. Those who call on the Lord, here's his response, abundantly merciful and willing to help and talk it out. That's what the Lord does. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are willing to listen when we call on your name. Thank you so much for, again, giving us these stories that, um, Lord, we, we pray that we would uh, even be um, more trusting than the saints of old, that we might glorify you for it. Abraham was so good, a friend of 
of you and yet uh, has mistakes as we all do along uh, his life. And yet, Lord, uh, he constantly again turned to you and he constantly called on your name. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would do that, that we would call on your name in our distress and that we would uh, be those who, uh, when it seems like there's no nourishment around, that we would trust that you can nourish us. In your name, amen.